Growing up, my mom always taught me to trust my gut. Being street smart, she knew that gut feelings can prepare us to handle dangerous situations. And I'm wondering, have you ever had a gut feeling about someone that something was a little off just to discover later on down the road that you were right? Or have you had a gut feeling about a situation or a particular happening? Personally, my gut instincts have often helped me to avoid or to better respond to trouble. And although they are not always right, I believe that we are wise to trust our gut, to trust our instincts, to take them seriously. In addition to feeling danger in our guts, we can also feel pain there. So think about the last time that you heard a gut-wrenching story. A couple of Sundays ago, we talked about compassion as a form of empathy that we feel in our guts. And because we can also feel regret and guilt and shame in the pit of our stomachs, we sometimes spill our guts in confession. We also find strength deep down inside, which is what we mean when we say, man, that took guts for you to do that. Meaning that it took a lot of courage and conviction and resolve. So just thinking about these few examples, we can say that guts matter. <laughs> and in our Bible story this morning, a crowd of anxious people encountered Jesus after he had miraculously fed 5,000 people. And Jesus, knowing what was in their hearts, says to them, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, people were motivated not by what they saw Jesus doing, works of the kingdom, but because of what they ate. They were following their guts. <laughs> now at first glance, we might assume that this is bad, that Jesus was scolding the crowd for not seeing the deeper meaning of His miracles. And we don't have the time today to go into this, but the miracles, when Jesus does a miracle, it's almost never about what appears to be a magic trick, right? The, the, the miracles are always transparent to some deeper reality or truth that God is trying to teach the people. And it's unfortunate that people, when Jesus does miracles, they tend to focus on what appears to be the magic trick, and they often miss the deeper meaning of the sign or symbol. And so we can read this passage and say, well, Jesus was upset with them and correcting them for that. And maybe this is true, but I think that there is another way of understanding what's going on here. Maybe another way of thinking about these people and their response. Because I think that there's something to be said for trusting your gut. Some medical researchers argue that the stomach is like a second brain because it so often drives our decision-making. And I know this to be true because yesterday, Em and I traveled north of Gainesville to get a puppy, and my stomach drove some pretty bad decisions to go to KFC and McDonald's. There's a professor named Pedro at the Duke Medical School who points out that very simple organisms don't have a brain, but they have a gut. 
Over the course of world history, creatures have had to eat in order to live. In fact, organisms were eating for around a billion years before they were ever breathing. So first they ate, then they breathed, and then they began to think. And Pedro goes on to explain that we eat several times a day and that this literally modulates who we are. So as we know, if we eat junk food, we're going to look bad and feel bad. But if we eat good food, we're going to look better and feel better. And, it's, and this isn't new news, right? I mean, we've known this for a long time. Um, as far back as 1923, in an ad in the Bridgeport Telegraph, we are reminded that 99% of the diseases known to man are created by cheap food, right? And we were talking the other day um, with the, the breeders, and I was telling him what I was preaching on, hoping he might tune in online. So if you're watching, we're glad to see you guys. Uh, but he was saying not only, uh, we, we know that we, there's a sense in which we are what we eat, right? But now we're beginning to learn that we are what we eat and what that eats, right? So we are what the food we eat eats, and so it gets even more complicated. But Pedro goes on to make a very simple point, which is the title for the message this morning. And he says, at the core of who we are, we are food. We are food. And this is something that Jesus knew at a different level 2,000 years ago. In our scripture reading this morning, he warns the crowd, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And we are wise to ponder, what could that possibly mean? It's important to note that all this talk about bread from heaven evoked a very specific story for the Jews who were listening to Jesus that day. They would have immediately thought about the most important story in their history, the story that gave them their very identity as a people. Do you know what story I'm talking about? It was the Exodus. Do you remember the story? <laughs> God led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and as they wandered in the desert on the way to the Promised Land, they survived on this really weird substance called manna bread from heaven. After evoking the memory of this story, Jesus reminds them that it was not Moses who gave them this bread, but that it was God. In other words, God fed them, God nourished them with bread from heaven so that they could survive a journey through difficult terrain in the harshest conditions. Are you awake, church? Does anybody know what Jesus is talking about? <laughs> How many of you have traveled through deserts in your life? How many of you are going through a desert right now? <laughs> How many of you have had to travel through some really difficult terrain and really harsh conditions? How many of you know what it's like to be utterly dependent upon God to make it through the day? Just say amen. Do you remember? Jesus says it is important for you to remember. And oftentimes, that memory becomes the very bread that nourishes us for the next day of the journey. 
We need to remember how God has nourished us with bread from heaven. True bread. The bread that endures. Now some of you listening in here this morning, or maybe some of you that are listening online, might be confused about what Jesus is saying. And that's okay because the people who were listening to Jesus, they were pretty confused too. So Jesus continued to teach them by saying, and I quote, For the bread of life is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this is really important. And I want you to hear this good news this morning. Because I'm only up here for one reason, and that's to proclaim good news. And the good news this morning is that the bread that God gives us gives us life. If you are breathing this morning, whether you realize it or not, it's because you have graciously feasted on the bread from heaven. The bread that God gives us gives us life. And when Jesus makes this clear, people start to say, Sir, give us this bread always. They want this bread, even though they don't really know what it is yet. And we should want this bread too. And at this point, the people were probably thinking quite literally. Right? And this is often a trap. Sometimes when we read Scripture or when we think about theological teachings, it's very important to think literally and logically. But there are other times when we're called to think more metaphorically, analogically, or symbolically. And if we fail to make that transition, we miss the deeper point. And it seems like at this point, the people listening to Jesus were probably taking him quite literally, thinking that Jesus was going to give them some kind of magic bread that would never run out and would satisfy their hunger, their physical hunger forever. But we learn as we reflect that Jesus was not talking about a bread made with wheat, rye, or corn. With a sudden and startling twist, Jesus says something that sounds a little crazy. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, I don't have time to elaborate on this connection, but I want you to remember Moses, the one that led the Israelites out of, the, out of slavery to the promised land, when God called him at the burning bush, Moses said to him, Lord, what is your name? For I have to tell Pharaoh the name of the God who sends me. And God says, I am. I am who I am. Another more literal translation is, I will be who I will be. And I think that's funny. It's kind of like God would say, you know, not telling you my name. Because the minute I give you my name, you're going to try to use it to your own advantage, to leverage your own interest. You're going to try to make me your rabbit's foot. But the answer is, I am. And so, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus often starts a phrase with, I am. And in this case, He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me will never be hungry. For what do you hunger? 
right now. Think about that. What are you most hungering for in your life? Speaking metaphorically, Jesus presents Himself as the most basic, durable, and nutritious form of bread available to human beings. In effect, He is saying, I am eternal food. And if you take Me into yourself, if you receive Me into your life, you will never be hungry. You will never be thirsty. You will never be hopeless or powerless. I am the One who comes down from heaven and gives life and life abundant to anyone who asks, including you. In this way, Jesus is trying to communicate that He is the only One who can truly satisfy your deepest hungers. And He does this by offering forgiveness. By offering new life. And, by the way, when Jesus gives you new life, part of that transformation is to change the things that you most hunger for. So if you're most hungering for power or influence or money or attention or affection or whatever the case might be, Jesus helps to transform what we most hunger for, helping us to have the right kind of hungers, right? In order to be able to fulfill that hunger in a new life so that we might have bodies, minds, and spirits that are nurtured and nourished by the Spirit of God that come alive, fully alive, and healthy in joy-filled ways. But there is more to the story as we read the Bible. And it's interesting to me, and I'm not trying to be critical here, but as I listen to a lot of preachers, because I want to become a really good preacher, right? so I listen to a lot of people, and it's amazing to me how every time I hear a sermon and there's a passage like this, it seems like the pastor often focuses on what... God can give you to make you happy and you satisfied and you fulfilled and for you to feel good. And I think part of that is the hope that you'll come back because if we step on your toes too much, you might say, yeah, I think I'll sleep in next Sunday. Right? But there's more to this passage than Jesus satisfying your hungers. Jesus doesn't simply offer Himself to us as bread from heaven, but He calls us to provide this bread for others. And what's interesting, and I don't have time, again, I, I could preach five sermons uh, today on different things, but when we say, how do I receive this bread? It's kind of an interesting and paradoxical thing that the way that you receive the bread that satisfies your deepest hungers is by your willingness and action in sharing that bread with others. Does that make sense? So as long as you're sitting back in the pew and saying, feed me, Lord, feed me. I want to feel good. I want to be full. I want to be at peace. I want to be at harmony. And I'm just going to sit here like a passive vessel and let you pour that into me. You don't ever experience it. You have to get up and follow where Jesus leads and do the things that Jesus did and serve the mission of Jesus. And it's precisely in our obedience in doing that, in our faith in doing that, that all of a sudden we realize 
I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> but that's another message. So as strange as it sounds, Jesus calls us to be bread for a hungry world. And not just as individual Christians, but as the body of Christ. As a community of faith. And this means that the bread that Jesus gives is not intended to make us fat and lazy. It's not intended to fill us up so that we can recline back in our pew and our stretchy pants and go, thank you, Lord. That was delicious. No, this bread is intended to strengthen the entire church to serve the mission of Jesus in this world. We are not a diner's club. So how can we, as a church, might want to hang on here for a minute. It's about to get a little hot before we finish. How can we as a church be good bread for a hungry world? First and foremost, we have to be people who believe in Jesus in our guts. Not to belong to a club, not to get a uh, a get-out-of-hell-free pass, right? We have to be people who truly believe in Jesus deep in our guts. And what that means is if we really, really believe in Jesus deep in our guts, we trust Him. And when we trust Him, that affects how we see the world and how we act in the world. When the crowd approached Jesus in Capernaum, they said to Him, what must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in Him whom God sent. Somebody say Jesus. <laughs> the name above all names. Many Christians make a distinction between faith and works. And I think that in some theological discussions, that might be appropriate. But Jesus ultimately says that the two can never be separated. You don't praise God on Sunday and then cheat a client on Monday. You don't pray to Jesus in a small group and then fail to serve Jesus when He comes to you as a hungry child. It says in the book of James that faith without works is dead. And our reading in the Gospel of John in our reading in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that the work of God is that you believe in Me. Did you catch that connection? I'm going to say it again and put the emphasis on the right syllable. Jesus said the work, somebody say work. The work of God is that you believe, somebody say believe, that you have faith in Him. So faith and works are as essential to the Christian faith as flour and water are to a loaf of bread. Second, we must be adaptable. As we know, bread can be found in all the different cultures of the world, ranging from the Balani bread of Afghanistan to the Malawak bread of Yemen to the injera bread of Ethiopia. 
which Emma tried not, and I tried not too long ago. We weren't big fans. But there's bread everywhere, right? The nourishment of bread can be obtained almost anywhere, but it comes in a variety of forms. And if we are going to be bread for a hungry world as a community of faith, then we too must be adaptable. Something that has become crystal clear in the pandemic. Being adaptable means taking worship beyond the walls of this building and spreading it around the world through live streaming services. It, in, it includes having theological discussions, not just in the classrooms downstairs, but in pubs and restaurants around town. It requires meeting people where they are. And I want you to pay very careful attention to this because I'm about to tell you how simple it is to serve the mission of Jesus. We meet people where they are in the community, beyond these walls, people that do not attend here, and we try to figure out in conversation with them, what do you need? And then when we discern those needs, we bring them back to the church and we raise the question with each other as followers of Jesus, how can we come together and meet those needs in the name of Jesus? And according to the Bible, that is not just my job. It is your job too. Every cotton-picking day, it is your job. We are called to serve the mission of Jesus together. And if I'm the only one talking to people, discerning their needs, inviting them to church, and spearheading new ministries, then our church will eventually die and our doors will close, and that's exactly what should happen. Because we will stop being a church. Jesus grows a church like this one by putting a love for people in your heart, every single one of you. Love in your hearts for the people who aren't here. God gives us a curiosity about their needs and then gives us the courage and the strength and the hope to do something about that need. This is just the way that God has designed the church. So if the church is not growing, the question is not, what is the pastor doing to turn it around? But what am I doing to turn it around? What are we together doing to turn it around? As the pastor, I'm not the church. You are the church. We are the church together. In other words, I'm not the only minister here. Every single one of you that has been baptized into the name of Christ is a minister of the Gospel of Jesus. Do you remember who you are? That's your identity. I always tell people, you think you're a school teacher. You think you're a mechanic. You think you're a consultant. You think you're a manager or a supervisor or a CEO or a CFO. That's not who you are. That's the disguise that you wear to reach people for Jesus. Every Christian should have a ministry. The day, are you awake, church? <laughs> In my experience, I'm telling you right now, the day that a church hires a pastor to serve them is the day that they stop being a real church. Because real churches aren't focused on being served but on serving others in the name of Jesus.
And that's why if you look at some of the churches that are the fastest growing in town, and I can tell you, um, I'm, one of my colleagues, Corky Calhoun, leads Georgiana. And one of the reasons why they have grown so quickly, I believe, is that they, their, their motto is, it's not about us. They pour their life into the hurting people in their community. And their giving, if you look at their budget, their giving toward mission and outreach is much larger than the average church. Right? I just want to say something as clear as possible because this is so important for us to grow, for me to grow, for you to grow, for us to grow together. The day that you become a follower of Jesus is the last day it is about you. And this means that the church does not exist to serve you. You exist to serve the mission of Jesus through the church. And once we stop seeing ourselves as consumers of religious goods and start seeing ourselves as producers for the kingdom of God, as workers in God's vineyard, then we will embrace the need to be adaptable and to reach new people by meeting their needs. But a church will not be adaptable if their question is, what have you done for me lately? Because if you're here, it's probably because you like the way that we do things. And if you like the way that we do things, and it's really mostly about you, you're going to want to keep things the same. But the minute that it stops being about you, and it becomes about meeting the needs of the hurting people in our community in the name of Jesus, now we say, okay, I'm willing to give up some things. I'm willing to make some changes. And some of them are radical. I'm, I, I really was going to preach a short sermon, I promise, but I know someone who had a church like this. And after five years, he said, these pews are keeping us. And I'm not suggesting we do this here, so don't panic and send letters to my DS, okay? But, but he said, I don't believe that the pews are, I think that having the pews in this building is preventing us from from, from serving the mission of Jesus, we need to take out all the pews and put in movable chairs. And then we can put tables around and people can eat and we can pause in the middle of the sermon and people can actually have discussions with each other and build community. The people thought he was crazy. The people that thought it was about them and where they sat and losing their pew and if the chairs, the new chairs would be as comfortable as the pews, they resisted. But he got enough support and he did something nuts. He took all the pews out of the church. Put in folding chairs. That church now has five campuses. Because it wasn't about the people attending. It was about meeting the needs of those in the community. Okay, I'm going to move on. Finally, we are called to be durable and nutritious bread. Like hardtack biscuits taken on a long hike. Friends, it takes guts to do what I'm suggesting this morning. It takes guts to walk with people in difficult times and offer ourselves as good bread. Nevertheless, as we feast on the bread from heaven, we are empowered to nourish others who need our help. And we offer bread from heaven not only when we give them a bag of food when they're hungry, but when they get that bag of food, we say, hey, 
let's go over here and pray together and actually sit down with them and talk to them and pray with them and get to know them. We advance the ministry of Jesus not just by writing a check to foreign missions, but by flying to impoverished places like El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Haiti and build friendships through short-term mission trips. I can tell you about the friends I've made in El Salvador. TJ and Rochelle, raise your hand. They can tell you about making friends in Nicaragua. And Jim Dale, raise your hand, Jim, can tell you about making friends in Haiti. It's more than just giving money. It's more than just giving food. It's about giving ourselves as good bread to people who are hungry. In closing, true belief in Jesus requires us as the body of Christ to do the work of Jesus in the world. What is happening right now is that you have come back. You awake? You have come back to this building. And this building is a strategic base of mission. This is not the church. This building is not the church. You are the church. And the church is activated not necessarily when you walk into these doors, although the Bible does say that God inhabits our praise. And so we're, we're here to praise God. We're here to get the healing that we need and the courage that we need and the strength that we need and the insight and the learning and the wisdom for the purpose of leaving here and being the church out there. Right? So this is a strategic base of mission. You're only here to get provisions for next week or this week as you serve the mission of Jesus. Right? To get your wounds bound up to be loved on, to be cared for, to be energized, to be fed, so that you can leave here and serve the mission of Jesus. And again, this means being adaptable, durable, and nutritious food, always looking for ways to nourish a hungry world. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, He is not saying, He's not only saying, I want to feed you, He's saying, I want you to be good food for others. And that's why Jesus feeds us. And I hope that we will take this to heart as we work together to do our part to rebuild our congregation after COVID and as we seek to rebuild our lives after COVID and as we turn our attention to the sacrament of Holy Communion where Jesus literally feeds us the bread of heaven. And that, my friends, is the good news of the Gospel this morning.